0: Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the Story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. Day nine. If you've made it this far, you should congratulate yourself for almost a day 10. We're reading Genesis 16 to 17, Job 5 to 6, Proverbs 1, verse 20 to 33. And just a reminder, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Genesis 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called El Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Baird. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are keeping. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring whether born in your household or bought with your money they must be circumcised my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant God also said to Abraham as for Sarai your wife you are no longer to call her Sarai her name will be Sarah I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. By my covenant, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Job 5. "'Call if you will, but who will answer you? "'To which of the holy ones will you turn? "'Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. "'I myself have seen a fool taking root, "'but suddenly his house was cursed. "'His children are far from safety, "'crushed in court without a defender. "'The hungry consume his harvest, "'taking it even from among thorns, "'and the thirsty pant after his wealth. "'For hardship does not spring from the soil.' "'Nor does trouble sprout from the ground. "'Yet man is born to trouble, "'as surely as sparks fly upward. "'But if I were you, I would appeal to God. "'I would lay my cause before him. "'He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, "'miracles that cannot be counted. "'He provides rain for the earth. "'He sends water on the countryside, "'the lowly he sets on high, "'and those who warn are lifted to safety.' He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their craftiness and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness come upon them in the daytime. At noon, they grope as in the night. He saves the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities, he will rescue you. In seven, no harm will touch you. In famine, he will deliver you from death and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be protected from the lash of the tongue and need no fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine and need no fear not fear the wild animals. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. We have examined this and it is true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Job 6. Then Job replied, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetus. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terror are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. Then I would still have this consolation. My joy is unrelenting pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven from me? Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that stop flowing in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels caravans turn aside from the routes they go off into the wasteland and perish the caravans of tama look for water the traveling merchants of shaba look in hope they are distressed because they had been conf- confident they are arrived there only to be disappointed now you too have proved to be of no help you see something dreadful and are afraid have i ever said give something on my behalf pay a ransom for me from your wealth deliver me from the hand of the enemy. Rescue me from the clutches of ruthless. Teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. How painful are honest words. But what do your arguments prove? Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? You would even cast lots for the fatherless and barter away your friend? But now be so kind as to look at me. Would I lie to your face? Relent. Do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my integrity is at stake. Is there any wickedness on my lips? Can my mouth not discern malice? Proverbs 1 verse 20. Out in the open wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you, I will make known to you my teaching. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all of my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Wow. Now they are Abraham and Sarah after the covenant. So cool. They were in relationship with God before. They were tasked with reflecting God's image when they were Abram and Sarai, but now they are named by God. Dr. Mackey describes how Abraham changes his name to the father of nations, a multitude. They are called into a covenant, name bearing relationship with God. Another change circumcision, which is a sign of the covenant. Like Father Mike Schmidt says, I don't know why circumcision is the sign of the covenant exactly. The last sign of the covenant with Noah and his family was a rainbow um, after the flood. So we're going from rainbows to circumcision. Dr. Tim Mackey points out that in the story with Noah, God was grieved by the violence and evil in humanity and allowed the skies above to fall or rain. This is a sign of decreation. God allowed disorder and chaos to wash the earth of evil, but he preserved his promise to humanity at the same time through Noah, his family, and the ark. It was like a wounded victory. Then notice that before Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah, they had an epic failure in their faithfulness to God. They pursued the promise or the blessing instead of their purpose. That's how I'm seeing it. Uh, They knew God promised them future generations. That was the part of their blessing. But they had no children, and Abraham was 99 years old. So instead of looking forward to God's promise and living in their purpose— Dr. Mackey points out that the same language is used here that was used in the Garden of Eden. Sarai acted as an um, like an adversary and offered Hagar, which means immigrant in Hebrew. Hagar, Hagar was never mentioned. Um, they never mentioned her by a specific name. I didn't realize this till way later. So Hagar literally just means immigrant which is kind of, well, absolutely, dehumanizing, and it's, narrative, it's a narrative testament to her perceived low status. They never called her by an actual name. Sarai offered Hagar to Abram to take and make future children, because, again, this was before circumcision, so they were still Abram and Sarai at the time. So, and Abram ate this fruit, basically. Sarai sort of acted like the serpent in the garden and was like, you know, take this so that we can get the prophet or what we want. And Abram ate the fruit. He took the Egyptian um, immigrant given to him by Pharaoh in yesterday's Bible reading and they had a son, Ishmael. It's almost as if, or maybe very much in fact, that Abram, the forefather of Israel, had enslaved the Egyptians before the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites later in the story. It's a slippery slope from being given servant, uh, servant I say with quotations around it, to slavery. I imagine making someone who you do not call by name that you have also given to serve your wife to then have your baby crosses that line pretty clearly because it certainly is not in the description of God's order in Genesis 1 and 2. And we can quickly see how it creates and intensifies disorder in the intimate relationship of the family. Okay, now let's talk about the timing of circumcision. Dr. Mackey points out that circumcision became the sign, not the actual, but the sign of the covenant right after Abram had made this unfaithful and disorderly decision um, to take Hagar to try to you know, build his future progeny. Therefore, He describes how it makes sense that circumcision is a direct response to this sinful choice, but also notice that circumcision does not prevent future children. I think it's interesting that Eve was the first to sin in the Adam and Eve um, garden story, and her consequence was pain and childbirth. This did not prevent her from having future children, In fact, Genesis 3.15 states that the wounded victor would come from her descendants, and all future women were affected by this consequence. It's like a mark, a sign, both of consequence and of hope. Then contrast that to this story where Adam makes this uh, choice to eat the, or sorry, Abram makes the choice to eat the fruit that Sarai tempted him with, and Abram's consequence was circumcision for him and all the men and boys of his household and future generations. Yet there was also hope. God did not remove the promise to make Abram a great nation with future generations. God would still bless Abram. Now Abram and Sarah would have a son. God said within a year's time. Dr. Mackey also points out how circumcision was extended to everyone in the household, so not just Abram's bloodline. The covenant extends beyond the family God elected because God's election comes with a special relationship, moral accountability, special blessing, and the purpose of being a blessing is to be a blessing to others, not a pursuit of profit, not self-promotion or self-preservation. God said he would make Abram a great name. We are the work we are to work for him, not drift or dislocate in quotations, or help God by not offering our work and as an act of love, an act of worship, and not using our blessing to you to bless others is also a big problem. In Job 5, and 6, we read more poetry about how Job is feeling and what he is thinking in his lament. And we witness Job's ongoing discussion with, um, well, between Job 3 and Job 31, between three friends. As Dr. Mackey describes, Job's friends are largely pulling from what they know or learn from the book of Proverbs, that the wise and righteous are blessed and bad things happen to the wicked. So the friends are by and large saying to Job, you are suffering and undergoing hardship. You must have done something wrong. And Job protests and he's saying, I didn't do anything wrong, which we know he did not. Job really gets moved beyond confusion and frustration to angry. We're starting to really feel that. And eventually we'll read how Job takes his case up directly to God. I try to remember how Proverbs is the first of the wisdom books, and it sets out God's order for wisdom as just and fair, but then we read in Ecclesiastes, the second book of wisdom, and we learn that life is not always fair, and then this third book of wisdom, Job, reiterates how suffering is not always a sign of consequence, and we are reminded that blessing is not a reward that's earned, but a gift from God that loves us, gives to us, and wants to share. We ultimately learn that there is a natural pattern to justice and fairness in the ordering of creation, but there's also exception that may go beyond our comprehension for God's thoughts and ways are not our own. And he is wisdom, and we cannot compare our wisdom to his, but ultimately make the choice to trust in his immutable character and have faith in his goodness and love for us, even if and when we cannot understand the why. We put our relationship with God before our need to understand. If we do not, we have actually chosen ourselves and our own understanding for approval to our sense of goodness and wisdom instead of drawing from, discerning from, and living under His wing. And the promise that He made to bless us and call us to be a blessing for all of creation.